So today's Bible reading comes from Luke 8, 40 to 42. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Isn't it great when people are able to, um, I suppose, be on your team? It'd be a way of doing it. There was, and that we're going to be talking about, about that a little bit today. But there was a guy by the name of John, who um, he went to see his supervisor at, at the um, front office where he was working. He said, "Boss, um, we're doing some heavy house cleaning at home tomorrow. Tomorrow, and my wife needs me to help with the attic and the garage and moving and 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 just shifting stuff around." The boss looks at him with a bit of a sigh. He says, um, we are really short-handed, John. I can't give you the day off. And the guy suddenly looks relieved. He says, thanks, boss. I knew I could count on you. <laughs> we, sometimes we look for people to help us out of a, of a jam. Sometimes we look for people to, to support us when, when maybe life gets difficult, maybe um, to encourage us as we are pursuing the path which God has put us on. And this morning we're we covering the last week of our Made for Mission series, and um, which we've been talking about the past five weeks. And we, we talked about the idea that we are all called by God, uh, each one of us. So um, God is not discriminatory in any single way. Like you, There is no qualification you need except availability. And it's an amazing thing. Like God only needs you to be available and ready. Um, and... and for a lot of us, that's where we struggle the most because we go, God, I'm not available and I don't want to be ready. Um, I'll let you know when I'm free to serve. But God says, no, we are all called. Um, he basically, uh, we, we're joined to, to join him on the mission that he is doing. Like God has, has been at work saving this world since creation. Since we fell away from God, God has been at work since then to restore his world. And so we are joining God on the work that he has been a part of. Um, we, are, we, are, we are meant to share what God has done in our lives. And basically, we live on mission because we are, we are in the presence of Jesus. Now, I just want a quick quiz. Who here would know the name of the first names of their grandparents? Who knows the first name of their grandparents? Who here knows the first names of their great-grandparents? So that, the, the, the drop down a little bit. Who would know the name, first name of the great-grandparents? So only, only a few. Which basically goes to show, within a few generations, everyone who's here, we will be forgotten. No, that, that's, that, that's, that's, the, that's the opening point. In a few generations, we will be forgotten. In a physical sense. My, my great-grandkids won't remember that my name was Keith. Unless I sort of tell my kids, make sure you tell them. And, but the thing is, on the flip side though, in the currency of heaven, when it comes to our descendants and that those that we influence beyond our lifetime, there is a great significance there because we will exist with them. You imagine that as we get to heaven and, and we... 
I suppose it could play out a little bit like this. We get to heaven and we see people that we influence for Christ and all of a sudden we see the people that they influence and then they influence and, and they come up to us and go, you're my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather in a spiritual sense because of the influence that you had. And so there is, the, and then we can actually look back and, and see the people that influenced us and, and sort of poured their life into us. And because we need to realize that God's calling on our life is always bigger than our lifetime. Do you realize that? Some of us look at our life and go, oh, okay, I'm going to live my life for God. God's calling is bigger than your life. And not to make us feel small, but we are part of God's amazing and magnificent and huge plan. We are part of that. And so to see that continue... We don't just show up and do a job for a period of time saying, God, I'm going to serve you for this many months or this many years or that's going to be my job. We've actually got to be serious about replicating, reproducing and bringing other people along on that journey. That becomes really significant. And, and the story we're going to look at today that just, just read the intro to that story, we're going to really look at that that story because there's actually two stories unfolding uh, in that um, in Luke 8 uh, verses 40 onwards that are really significant and the impact that they play on on that gentleman named Peter um, I'm just going to reread those um, or oh, the verses that just read earlier just 40 42 now when Jesus returned a crowd welcomed him for that we were they were all expecting him and then a man named Jairus the synagogue leader came and fell at Jesus's feet pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. So, Angel, you're still 12, aren't you? So, 13 this year. So, someone around Angel's age was dying. Now, to add to that, Jairus, and it mentions that he was a synagogue leader. So, he was well-known, he was influential, he had, he, had, um, he had position within the community. Now, wouldn't it have been great for Jesus to basically go, oh, great, we're going to get a little bit of publicity about this if we can go help out this family. This well-known person has come. If we can go in and, and maybe, and we know that Jesus wouldn't have been thinking about it like that, but I'm sure the disciples would have been. Going, hey, we're getting a bit of recognition here. We're getting a bit of, like, Jesus is, this is really good for Jesus. And, and if it's really good for Jesus, it might trickle down and be really good for us. Like if Jesus starts getting invited, at the moment we're getting invited to all the poor places. If we start getting invited to all the rich places, then this could be really great for us. And so that sets up the bit of the context for the story. And, but we pick it up from uh, Luke um, 8.42 onwards. And as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years and no one could heal her. They came up behind, she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me and I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. And in the presence of all the people, she told uh, why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. So this is the first story. And again, we're not going to be looking so much at the stories per se, but the, the, I suppose some of the observers that are there with Jesus. 
But it's almost comical in a sense that Jesus is getting crushed. He's getting shuffled along because even Jairus, when he rocked up, he would have had people with him. So Jesus has hopped off the boat and the crowd is waiting there for him. Jesus is moving between the crowd and he's getting jostled along the way. He's got at least his disciples with him following. And then another group has basically joined the mix. And so Jesus is trying to get to this, this home of this 12-year-old girl as quick as he can. And people are touching him all over the place. And Jesus actually stops. In the middle of an urgent situation, he stops and says, Who's touched me? Who's done that? And Peter, probably rolling his eyes, went, Now, Jesus, there are people everywhere touching you. There's people everywhere. They're pushing you. They're pushing me like I'm about to push back, Peter's thinking. Jesus, what are you thinking about this? It makes no sense that Jesus stops on his way to this big ministry opportunity to talk to someone everyone else ignored. And there was a lot of things we probably can guess about this woman. She was poor. Most likely she was poor because she would have invested in every possible medical solution that she could have sought out. And because of her situation... She would have been deemed unclean and so therefore wouldn't have been able to work. She was probably all alone. There's no one else mentioned to her in that, in, about that in that passage. She wasn't there with friends. She wasn't there with a, a group of a family. She had been rejected and she was alone. And when she came in front of Jesus, like we see other stories in the Gospels where, where people have actually brought someone to Jesus. There's a group of people saying, here I brought this person to you to heal. This woman actually falls down in front of Jesus by himself. There's no one else with her. And she's also probably seriously shamed in the city that, that Jesus is in. The religious leaders taught that disease were a punishment from God. And here she was for 12 years, basically in the situation of being suffering. People knew about this woman. She had a reputation. And as she pushed her way through the crowd, I can imagine people sort of making way for her because they didn't want to touch her. You imagine that? She, they, people made room for her as she went to, to be with Jesus and as she got to the point where she touched Jesus and finally she was healed and her, her life changed in that moment. So that's the first thing that the disciples had an opportunity to view and see. But the story continues on from that. We picked that up in verse 49 of, of chapter 8. And while Jesus was still speaking... Someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. And when he arrived in the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John and James and the child's father and mother. And meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. And stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead but asleep. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished. But he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. So even before they get to Jairus' place, the message has come that the girl has died. Now, again, I wonder if that how much the disciples actually question Jesus' motivation. So this woman's been sick for 12 years. 
Jesus, she could have come back tomorrow. She could have made an appointment. But you had someone who was dying and you didn't rush. Because the, the, the Bible passage picked up while Jesus was talking, while he was addressing this woman, the message came. And I, I, again, we sometimes read the, the scriptures in a way that everything happens just instantaneously. The, the journey here only takes this amount of time, but there was time in this. I can imagine, even though it only says that, he says, daughter, your, your faith has made you well. I'm sure Jesus spent some time ministering to someone who was suffering for 12 years and just really pouring his grace into her life. And while he's doing that, the message comes that this, this, woman has di- this girl has died. But Jesus still continues on to the house. He still brings his disciples with him. And so they have the opportunity to be a part of this. And when he comes to the house, he does something very deliberate. And you actually see it was written there. is that Jesus actually took Peter, James and John. Did he need them? Did they do anything of, of any help at all? No, they didn't. They didn't, weren't there to like give um, CPR. They weren't there to sort of pray. They weren't there to do anything significant at all. And so that's where we pick up this really important idea, the idea that even Jesus in his ministry had this understanding that you bring someone with you. When you go about serving God, you bring people along for that journey. Now, even at this point in time, the disciples were not qualified. In fact, if you look at these stories, Jesus, Jesus was questioned by Peter on the road up and to get to this house. Peter had actually said, Jesus, uh, you've, you've actually getting it wrong. Like you, you've, you shouldn't have stopped here. You should have kept on going and now we've, we've missed this opportunity. But Jesus still, still says, Peter, come into this room. James, John, come into this room and see what has happened. As you go live the mission you were made for, don't go alone. Bring someone along for the ride. This may be the single greatest leadership lesson we learn from the life of Jesus. You can make a really strong case that Jesus is one of the greatest leaders of all time because he never wrote any books. He never held any public office. He never went outside one small area of the world. He was only on the public scene for a little over three years and he died at the age of 33. Yet here we are, over 2,000 years later and there are over 2 billion people that follow him from all corners of the world and, and, and different languages. And the movement even, and maybe not so much in, in Western countries, but the, the Christian faith is still growing dynamically in places around the world faster now than ever before. All through the leadership of Jesus bringing someone with him. How many times do we see throughout the scriptures that Jesus took his disciples and they went somewhere? Most of the time he went somewhere, he intentionally brought people with him and, and with that Jesus, um, they, we see that Jesus had this incredible intentionality of, of training people up. Jesus' last words echo this intentionality with the Great Commission. It says, go into the world and, and make disciples. I'm going to ask you a question. I was thinking about it this week. Where does the point of discipleship start? When do we begin to disciple someone? Was that? Oh, oh, yeah. That's when when that's when it started in the Bible. He, he called them to be fisher of men. 
But when we are, if we are, if we are living life with someone, when do we begin the process where we are discipling someone else? What was that? Oh, right here, right now. What did you say, Dave? As soon as we meet them, yes. It's not a point of salvation. Often we, we've broken, I suppose, the Western church into we, we get people saved and then we think by osmosis they will learn the journey of discipleship. The journey of discipleship actually begins before salvation. We actually have opportunity to, to guide people and to bring people into the community of faith even before they've made a personal decision to do so. I've known people that have hung around church and church people for years before they've come to a point of faith themselves. And I've known people that have walked through the door of the church and, and have been overwhelmed by the grace of God and have fallen down on their face and, and, and followed him directly. But discipleship comes when we start living intentionally with people around us. Do you know what? I, I, I'm amazed. We've got people even in this community that surround our church that serve God even though they're not following God directly. Our next door neighbour often will mow our lawn for us. I jokingly say to them, no, well, you've actually earned a free sermon. You can come along any time and claim that voucher. Um, but the thing is, they're serving God. And so my conversations with them bring opportunity for God to speak through that. And so when, and I hope it will be soon, that they come to a point of faith for themselves, they've already begun their journey of discipleship. They've already begun that. And that becomes a really important thing that as we live intentionally about making disciples that we have opportunity at any point in time to be instilling those lessons and those guides. Even on Friday night, um, uh, it's been really encouraging uh, with our youth ministry over the last six months because most nights we've had, we're getting along at least one or two new kids. Um, we can get them all along at the same time, it'd be great. On Friday night, we headed down to Yapoon, but we met here, and Tessa actually invited a couple of her friends from school. And so when we got here, Tessa basically quickly grabbed my keys and said, can I take the girls into the church? And the girls were basically saying, I've never been to a church before. This is really cool, was their, were their words, because they've never been inside before. And the thing is, we run into people that have never experienced a building of church or what church is before and actually introducing to the, that to them and, and at least making it look normal and like make it like, hey, this is something that I could see myself being involved in or, or tell me more about this. Well, I know people, even this morning, someone said to me as I was um, coming here, they basically said, I can't go to church because the building won't stay up, that old joke that people say. And for us, it's really good because I can actually turn around and say, well, our church has been reinforced. You can come along any time. I said, the cyclone almost knocked us over. It's not going to come down any time soon. We're prepared for you. But the thing is, we've got to break down those barriers. And so that journey of discipleship starts for Tessa and her friends. It started Friday night. It actually started when she started inviting her friends along to, to um, youth group. It started when even when they said no and she continued inviting them along. It was the first time her two friends came on Friday night. And so what I'm saying is that this idea of discipleship and bringing someone with us actually is not just from this base. It's basically the life we live out there becomes this really important connecting point that we need to recognise. For you, you might sort of bring people with you as you want to serve in a ministry and like, you know what? There are a lot of guys that don't, um, can't imagine themselves standing up the front here in church. That is fine. 
But you put them behind a power tool, you put a paintbrush in their hand, put them behind a mower, and they love that. They'll rock up. Oh, yeah, give me a barbecue breakfast, and I'll push a mower. And all of a sudden, you can bring people on mission as you serve together. I'm not sure, but I think that's part of Greg's story. He actually was watching the guys paint the church here 25 years ago or something like that. So it was a long time ago. 40. Uh, um, so, so, but, but the thing is, Greg was amazed at the guys working together. I remember he was so amazed he went out and bought them Kentucky Fried Chicken. So again, we bring people with us, not just in this time slot, not just in this place, not just in this setting, but we can bring people with us no matter where we go. And again, this is where we're talking about. We are all gifted in different ways. And when we talk about what's our ministry, all of a sudden it doesn't have to be defined or even confined by these walls. Like if you've got, uh, if you love working and building wood and you want to sort of mentor some young guys doing that, great, go with it. If you want to help out people in your community by doing different things, by cooking a cake, making some biscuits, go with that. If you are a person who's extremely patient and you just want to spend time with people and encourage them, then do that. All of a sudden you bring people with you in that situation. And that's what we're talking about, how when we bring someone with us. It, it may start even more deliberately when you are, you are serving in a, in a ministry here at church and all of a sudden you might be sitting out in church and you hear someone behind you going, oh, they've got a really nice voice. Maybe we should, I, can, I can encourage them to come up the front with me and, and sing in a, on a Sunday. Or you might go, they're really great with the kids and like, hey, how about you come along with me and, and serve and, and do Sunday school? Or, hey, how about you come along and help out with Kids Club? Or... Like all these different ways that we can get someone to come along with us on this journey that God has called us to do. Now the thing is, all of a sudden as you bring people in, and it's not just them attending, it's them engaging in the life of the church. And my guess is that none of this would be surprising, but several studies of the US church basically said the average people that are lost who are invited to the church each year, each given year, is zero. They say zero because the number is so small, they have to round it, round, it, round it down. So it's less than one person for every Christian in the church is invited uh, every year in America. So say there's a thousand people, well, it, it becomes so small. So it, it, it's an amazing thing that we know that we, we are called to make disciples, we are called to bring people in our journey, yet we are just not doing it. And I think the reasons we normally don't bring someone with us are the same reasons that maybe um, Jesus could have had with Peter. Jesus could have easily said, it is easier just to do it on my own. How many times would it have been easier for Jesus to not have to explain himself to Peter, to not have to correct Peter, to say, Peter, you got it wrong again. Peter, why are you drowning there? I told you to walk to me. Peter, why have you said that? That's a silly thing to say. Jesus could have easily done it by himself every single time, but that was not the lesson that he was trying to pass on. You never knew what was going to come out of, out of Peter's loud mouth at times. And maybe Jesus could have looked at Peter as well and said, I just don't think they could handle it. In fact, Jesus knew that Peter couldn't handle it. It was his, his last words to him before the crucifixion was that, you are going to deny me. High five, my number one leader. Like, 
Jesus knew what Peter was capable of and what he wasn't capable of, and yet he still said, come and follow me. Come and be on mission with me. And really, there's only two possible outcomes if you bring someone with you. First of all, you might realise your assessment of them might be wrong. You might invite them to come and be on mission with you, and all of a sudden, if there's someone who isn't of faith yet, they actually come to a point saying they're a lot closer than you think. Um, you will find that you are, if God brings people along your way that it is often our reluctance and our resistance to the Holy Spirit that stops people from getting into heaven. Because when God brings people our way, sometimes we've just got to open the door and they walk through by themselves. Because as I was saying, often it takes seven or so times for people to have an encounter with God and they, they are ready. They're, God is hard-boiled and ready to go. And so... Let us not be resistant to our place in that. Whether that's one or seven, whether that's in the middle, let us be sort of opening the door for them. The thing is, even if we are right and they are not up to it, like Jesus was right about Peter, God can actually use their failure, even our failure at times, to actually be a major growing point in their life. In fact... Peter learned great lessons from his failings throughout his ministry with Jesus. We have the opportunity to learn through Peter's failings. We have the opportunity to learn from our failings because we know that God forgives us even the, matter, even the times when we disappoint him so much. I want to jump over to a story in Acts which it becomes slightly familiar. So Acts 9, 36-42. In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha in Greek. Her name is Dorcas. And she came, she always doing good and helping the poor. And about the time she became, and about that time she became sick and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydia was near Joppa. So um, when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydia, they sent two men to, to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the windows, all the widows stood around him crying and showing with, with the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed, turning towards the dead woman and said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. Again, when we look at that story, a lot of similarities between what he'd actually himself had seen Jesus do. Because what did Jesus do once he heard the girl was dead? He kept on going. Now this message was actually even worse because basically what happened, they rocked up and these two men rocked up and said to Peter, this woman is already dead, can you come? Now if Peter was the man he was before, he would have went, what the point? What's the point in doing this? Why go? But because Jesus had taken him so far on his journey with faith, all of a sudden he packed up and he went with them. He went up to the room, he kicked everyone out and he prayed. And he said almost exactly the same words. He said, Tabitha, get up. He told us to get up exactly the same way that he'd seen Jesus do it and he had experienced himself. Peter had healed Tabitha in an eerily similar way to what Jesus had done with Jairus' daughter. And Jesus took Peter with him for years and showing him different things. And God 
is a connecting the dots kind of God. God actually puts things together in our lives and, and sometimes God's got to do it slowly for us because some of us are a little slow. So sometimes the dots take a while to connect. Because if God made it really advanced for us, we would go, oh, it's too much. But God will slowly lay out and all of a sudden if we are, if we are with him, we all of a sudden are continually seeing, oh yeah, God, you've done that and I can trust you with this. I've trusted you with this, I can trust you with that. Oh, you've called me here and that went okay, I'm now going to go over here and do that. All of a sudden we see those dots connecting in our life. So as I said earlier, God's calling on your life is bigger than your lifetime. And there's only one thing that will last, and that is if you bring someone with you that will be celebrated for all eternity. So what is God calling you to do? Who can you bring with? Who can you bring with you? Who in your life does not know God? But as you seek to pursue uh, after God yourself, who will you invite? Who will you pursue after him? You may have people that you call to sort of begin that journey with you and they might laugh at you. That may happen. Go, oh, that's not mine. I'm not called to do that. I'm not going to be a part of it. There was people that scoffed and laughed at at Jesus and, and, and what the disciples were doing. So we'd be in good company. One thing I do want you to, to realise though as we, as we wrap up today in this idea of living on mission is that it really comes down to our response because the, the command is clear, the pathway is clear, everything for me is really obvious that we are all called to be a part of this and God wants to use the lives that we are living in to be on mission for him. So whether you are at work, whether you're a stay-at-home mum, whether you are retired, whether you are a student, God wants to use your life where you're at. And again, your, your life might change in the next six months, it might change in the next ten years, and God will say, I want to use your life now to be on mission with me. God does not actually say that we need to be at a different place before we are able to, to serve him. It comes back to what I said earlier, we need to be available. We really need to be available. And there's a phrase I suppose I want to get you stuck on your head is that, that and this phrase is, is, is your yes on the table. Is your yes on the table. And what I mean by that is that do you, are you willing to say yes before God actually puts his plan in front of you? Are you willing to say yes to God, God, whatever you call me to, whoever you call me to go share with, whoever, whatever you call me to, to use my life as on mission for you, I'm willing to leave that yes on the table. Because I think that's where we need to get to in a point where we, we, are, we are at a point of obedience before the request is there. And for some of us, we actually have got to be convinced of what God wants us to do. Or maybe have our arms twisted. Convinced may be a nice way of saying But we need our arms twisted before we'll say yes to God. And God just says, no, I want you to be ready. I want you to be available. And so today as we wrap up, I really want to challenge you with that idea that with all this that's going on with us being called to mission and to being on the mission that Jesus is on and to share the goodness of God in our lives around us, and that we, are, we actually know why we're on mission as we spend more time with God because as we, our hearts connect with God's heart, we are changed and all of a sudden our feet are pointed in the right direction, our heart feels what it's meant to feel and our brain thinks the way God wants us to think. And all of a sudden when we are in that position, 
We need to grab other people and say, hey, come with me on this journey. And all that comes back to this idea of saying yes. Is your yes on the table with God? Is your yes ready to go? Or are you waiting for God to convince you or to force you to serve him in some way? I suppose I want to paint just a picture for you like, I would hate for you to get to heaven and looking around for your spiritual great-grandchildren and find that there are none there because what has started in your life stopped with you. What someone else started, because I, I can look back at the people that influenced me. Like I, I can point out, I, I had a youth leader when I was in high school that was a great influence. I've had people that have, have preached at this church that I heard when I was in grade 8 who had great influence in my life. And I, I can see their influence in my life and then as I hear their stories, I hear the people that influence them. And so I know I'm part of, of a greater story, greater than their lives and greater than the lives before them. But if it stops with me and I get to heaven, I look around and go, where were the people that I brought with me? That'd be a sad thing to see. And I know that God has called me to influence in my family, in, in, in our church, but that's the same for each one of us. And again, it's not about numbers here. It's not about sort of bringing a thousand people to church or ten people to church or this. It could be doing life with someone so that they could be the person all of a sudden they have a great impact. And I've seen people that have been exactly like that through history where people have gone and ministered in, in countries where they have seen so little fruit they've sort of wondered why their time was sort of even, God even called them to that country. And then the next generation, disciples had come up. All of a sudden the fruit was harvested, harvested in such amazing ways. Billy Graham was one such story where you, you actually, he was part of a small farming community and it was, he actually points back to a story where his father and a group of five other farmers took the day off to pray for God to move. And not long after that, he came to faith. And their prayer actually grew from the point of saying, God, do something in our community that that will sort of uh, change our community. And then it went, God, do something in our community that will not only affect our community, but will affect our state. And then the prayer kept on growing to the point, do something in our community that will affect our state it will affect our country, that will affect the world. And not long after that, Billy Graham basically came out the front of the altar call and became a Christian. And we still see the impact of his ministry today. We still see the influence that has had. And that is not because of his greatness, that is because of six men who said, we are going to pray, we're going to bring people into the kingdom. And so today, like... Is your yes on the table? Are you ready to be on mission with God and to see him um, work through you and to bring someone? Bring those people in your life that are there already and to bring them on that journey and encourage them to do also. Because, okay, for all the parents here, if, if, if our children don't see us living out our faith with those around us, then why would we expect them to? If our, if our children sort of see us sort of like hiding God away just for Sundays, what do we expect them to do any different? And the same way, when we, when we live and work with people, if they don't see that our faith is important enough to us to live out in a way that people can see it, why would they ever follow after it? And so the challenge is there to bring someone with you, to put your yes on the table and to see God move in mighty ways not only in your lifetime, but in the lifetimes that will be impacted following that. We are made for mission. 
God has created us as firstly his church and the individuals of it to serve him and his kingdom plan. And I pray that you would get on board the mission that God has for each and every one of you. Let's just pray. Lord, we, we thank you that you have called us. We thank you that people before us have actually intentionally invested in us and brought us into your kingdom. I thank you for the people that invested in them and, 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 and the people before them and that, that they are part of, of a lifetime of lifetimes of ministry coming together. Lord, we do want to pray that you would work in our uh, a way in us that you would see us um, realise those around us that we could call to, to be on journey with you. And maybe they are at a starting point where we are just at the point of, of, of showing our influence, of building relationship with them, to, to show who you are to them. I pray for increase of opportunity there. Maybe we're, we know people who have come to faith and they are, are wanting to learn more about you. I just pray that we would be people that would mentor and encourage and, and challenge and draw people onto the journey that we have. The journey for Jesus Christ is not about coming to church. It's about seeing your kingdom grow. And we want our people to understand that, Lord. And I suppose, Lord, I just pray that you would get that, that message into their hearts. As they know you in their life, that you would set their feet feed their heart and their mind straight on the purpose that they are here for. And so, Lord, as we, as we leave this place today, I pray that you would really see us and call us to put our yes on the table, to have a standing yes there for when you call us to serve you in both small and big ways. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would um, start from this place to see your kingdom grow day by day. We just pray this in your name.